please join me in reading the litany of invitation and confession printed in your worship bulletin. God, who walked with Jesus to the cross, is with us as we gather for worship. God shepherds us with words and life and surrounds us with love. We are vulnerable and easily overcome by the weight and demands of our lives. Yet we trust God's providential care. God will renew our strength, restore our hope, and empower us to be witnesses of grace. Yet on this third Sunday in Lent, we confess our tendency to settle for jaded attitudes, cynical religion, and joyless service. We pause silently and confess our sins. Sisters and brothers, God meets us where we are. We are forgiven. Let us give thanks. Let us lift our voices in gratitude to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church as we continue our journey during the season of Lent. Welcome especially to those of you who are guests among us. Some have come all the way from California. Some have come from uh, High Point, uh, North Carolina, and uh, others are here as well. As we gather for the worship of God, we open our hearts as well as our ears uh, as we experience the presence of God among us. If you are a guest, if you would complete that response card, welcome card that's on the edge of your order of service, drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect name and face with you. And if there are any of you who have a, a prayer request, you can place that on the card, put it in the plate, and it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. As we walk through the service today, it'll be the gospel lesson that I'll be preaching on. It's the story in John's gospel of Jesus cleansing the temple. And the sermon title is Overturned Tables. So we'll listen for a Lenten message for, uh, for you and for me. The second lesson will be about the foolishness of the gospel and the preaching of it. But sometimes the more foolish it sounds, the more truer it may be. Uh, Alan Johns is our guest, but part of our church today will be bringing the, uh, the song in just a bit. And Clay Manley, one of the prophets and priests among us, will pray for us. So it's a rich experience of Lent on the way to communion. The first lesson we'll hear right now, it's the Ten Commandments, 
the ten words, the Decalogue, welcome. Moses brings the word of God down from the mountain to the people of God. A reading from the book of Exodus. Then God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends the first lesson. Let us pray. Loving and forgiving God, with humble hearts do we enter into thy presence this Lenten season. Our contrition is the more real as we approach Good Friday. We are sinners saved by grace, but sinners nonetheless. We need continuing forgiveness. In our daily lives, every day is Good Friday. Every day is Easter. Let your divine presence rule. Cast us not away from thy presence. Revive us again, Lord. Revive us again. For in this season of confession and penitence, Hear our prayers. We know that we do not deserve your grace, but we are lost without it. We know that we do not deserve your abiding presence, but without it we die. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Attend to our sick and their families. Bless the discouraged. Bless the frightened, 
Bless the lonely. Bless the angry. Bless those in jail. Bless those of drug addiction. Bless all government officials everywhere. Speak words of comfort to the depressed. Speak words of courage to those afraid to die. Speak words of courage to those afraid to live. Lord, we need so much. Give us one thing more, a double portion of your forgiving love. It is the Easter season. It is a time of praise and thanksgiving and worship and prayer. Now let the power of this season prepare us for a new day. Wake us up with the call of a distant trumpet. Behold, the day star rises, rejoice. Emmanuel, rejoice, Emmanuel. And again I say, rejoice. For our prayer is made in the name of him who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Believing is not foolishness, but it is wisdom. A reading from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided, through the foolishness of our proclamation, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front. Pastor Daniel will take your offering. 
So glad to see all of you this morning. All right. I have a question. What does a lion do? What's something a lion does? It roars. Yes, that's right, Jolene. They roar. What else might they do? Yeah, Barrett? Do you think they, they're the king, maybe they're the king of the jungle, yeah, they hunt, I bet that they growl too, they roar and they growl, do you think that they might be angry, yeah, have you ever been angry, what kind of face do you make when you're angry, those are good, really good faces, those are good faces, Sometimes I get angry because I see something that isn't fair. Like, when I see someone being pushed down, a friend at school getting pushed down, or um, someone being bullied at school, it makes me angry. I feel very angry when I see that. And that kind of anger is a good kind of anger. Did you know that even Jesus got angry? Jesus got angry in the Bible so angry that he turned over tables. He was so angry. See, he, he was going to a place called the temple where he worshipped and he prayed. And it was supposed to be a place where all people could come and talk to God to pray and to worship. But there were other people there trying to sell things. And it made Jesus angry because people couldn't worship and they couldn't pray. So Jesus, that anger that Jesus felt helped him to make things right. We're going to see a lot of things in our lives that make us angry. Things that aren't fair, that are unjust, and that anger can push us to do something. Yes, when people are unkind to other people, that can make us angry. And the anger that we feel can move us to action. We can do something about it. The anger can tell us that there's something that we care about, something that we love, that we want to help, that we want to change. So, whenever you feel angry, think about it. What's making you angry? Is it something that isn't fair? Is it, is it a friend at school that's being bullied? That anger can help you. Oh, guess what? There's a kid in my class that stands and bullies and hits me a lot. Oh, that's, that's not nice. Yeah. That isn't nice. I only have two best friends at my school. Yeah. Bryson and Martin. They're my only friends at my school. Well. Some people at my school, they, they, they kind of like hurt someone or bully me. And that's, that's not nice, and it makes us angry when those things happen. Right, Barrett? And we can act on those feelings. Yeah, yeah. But when we have friends and we have people that we care about, we can stick up for those people. Right? We can do something about it. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, sometimes we feel angry. And we thank you for giving us that anger. 
We pray that the anger that we feel will move us to do something. I pray that we can act on that anger so that we can help others. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Jesus drives out those who have turned the temple into a marketplace. A reading from the gospel according to John. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, 
Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, this is not exactly your gentle Jesus, meek and mild story, is it? I am uh, always on the search and look out for texts and stories in the Bible that we can use at Tolliver County. I think they would really get into this. Uh, I think they could enjoy it. The sermon title is Overturned Tables because that is a phrase that really catches my eye in this story. But it's one of the last things that happened. I mean, it starts with Jesus taking a handful of cords, wrapping them into a whip, and then, what driving out the cows and the sheep. I mean, it, it, turning into Indiana Jesus and the temple of, of whom? After all, he says, this is my father's house that you've turned into a marketplace, drives out the cattle and the sheep, Head him up, move him out, move him out, head him up. He's the rowdy Yates of John chapter 2. All this is happening, and then he overturns their tables. That is the plate glass window that I want us to look through into our own Lenten journey today. As in, if Jesus were to walk among us today, which tables would he overturn? Which tables in the world, which tables in your life and my life, and maybe which table in our church? What's on your table? <laughs> it's kind of like the venture card ad. What's on your table that Jesus might go for? In other words, what looks right but separates us from the life-giving love of God for all people? What would that be for you? We'll come back to that. First, a little bit of uh, the temple system 101, or what made possible this Jesus gone wild text. The sidebar is that the money changers in the temple, the sheep and the dove and the cattle dealers, were offering a service. I mean, after all, with the holiness code and with the emphasis on purity, what you need to do is bring a sacrifice that is without spot or blemish. Now, it was well-intentioned, though it would be hard for us to understand of how killing an animal and then burning it up uh, has anything to do with our faith. There is something in this world, 30th year CE, that if something dies in sacrifice, it could carry with it our sins and thus we could leave forgiven. 
So it was offering a service to them, but it had gone awry. Think, if, if you were coming from Antioch to Jerusalem, and you were going to uh, bring a sheep, uh, you wouldn't get it there without blemish or spot. If you've been to the Holy Land, every two, in, two feet of property in the Holy Land has at least three rocks in it. You can twist your ankle, you can skin your knee, you can uh, be hurt. Sheep wouldn't get there in good shape. So, for you, at a good price, we'll sell you one 30 yards from the altar. It'll be perfect. It'll be just right. And so it's an offering to them. Plus, no coin with an image on it, like our coins, would be acceptable. So they were changed into Hebrew coinage that had no picture on it. Now, this was meant to be very convenient. And yet, a lot of, like a lot of things human, it cul-de-sacs and becomes an end in itself. It is an example of the atrophy of good intentions or religious project creep. It was meant to do well, as in to help with their forgiveness and faith, but commerce and the privileged structures of the caste system had crept in and were invisible. Last week I quoted Reinhold Niebuhr, which uh, uh, was a professor that Clay Manley had studied with. He said that there arises new perils of evil along with every new level of good, right? That every good thing we can do, there is also a side issue that, uh, that can sometimes take more damage than good. It was like when Jesus reached for these tables to overturn, the real table was of an invisibly privileged religion that had occluded the spiritual arteries of the poor and of the rich. It was sort of the Jim Crowism of faith. Like Nelson Mandela taught us from his cell at, on Robben Island, that the prison guards themselves are as much in jail as those behind bars. The house of prayer had become a house of cards and it was built of rules and regs and a caste system. Let's pause that for a moment. That which was meant to be one thing gets morphed into something else. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments quickly. While we're here, these Ten Commandments that, uh, you know, let's take serious. I mean, could there be a more serious word in the Bible than the Ten Commandments? But even the word commandment, is our spin. It's not there. It's the Decalogue, the Ten Words, as our Jewish friends call it. But when you think of the Ten Commandments, what do you think of? Well, I think of courthouses and federal buildings and Roy Moore with a two-and-a-half-ton stone carried around on a flatbed truck that took a crane to move it from place to place. Somebody figured out that that's, that's a quarter a ton per commandment. Heavy stuff. When really, these ten words are a covenant between Yahweh and Israel. The first line is, I am the Lord who, God who brought you out of Egypt. So it's to this family that God is addressing. 
It's meant, these are meant, these words are meant to wall off the gravitational pull of Pharaoh. For they have been Pharaoh's victims for 400 years. And Pharaoh will get in your head and heart as well as in your housing. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, said, We ought to call these ten words the words to help you stay emancipated. What was it they said all through the wilderness? Would to God we were back in Egypt. These are words to help them stay free. Pharaoh had taught them how to think. Pharaoh had a vested interest in them seeing their neighbors not as neighbors, but as competitors. They were fellow rats in the rat race. Pharaoh had a vested interest in seeing ourselves, themselves, not as loved people, but had their value only by what they could produce. Pharaoh had a vested interest in seeing others not with respect, but with paranoid jealousy and fear of the stranger. Tom Long, who used to teach over here at Candler, said that these ten words were not meant to be a a two-and-a-half-ton burden. Rather, they were meant to be a life-giving blessing. He wrote an article for the Christian Century entitled, Dancing with the Decalogue. And the punchline was that these are words of life and love meant to keep you free and should be danced to, not be served under. Well, when he, when he wrote that article, I pushed it back and I got to thinking about that. Now, how about that? Imagine if you could set the Ten Commandments to music. Well, what would it sound like? And if it's an invitation to dance, what if we could see spirituality as a square dance? And what if God is the square dance caller? I mean, if God can be pictured like George Burns, why couldn't God be pictured as Lois Peacock, who taught some of you to square dance in our fellowship hall and on church retreats and fellowship retreats? Just can't you imagine putting the Ten Commandments to square dance lyrics? Maybe it would go something like, Promenade and don't be slow. Honor your parents with a dose dough. Swing your partner and honor the Sabbath. Alamade left and the rest you'll have it. Don't worship an idol. Be jealous or frown. Don't steal or murder on the common ground. Hear God's name. Don't take it in vain. Make a right left grand in the promised land. Tom Conley wouldn't have done that. Neither would have Fred Craddock. What if we turned it into the dance that's so life-giving, that it looks for the common ground on the dance floor while doing the common good? Lenten Journey isn't meant for us to be a wallflower on the wall of God's dance hall. Some of us were trying to have fun and do the right thing about ten days ago. Did you see in the paper this week the... uh, Let's call it the dance. The dance of mothers who demand action regarding gun violence that all gathered on the Liberty Plaza on the other side of the Capitol 
the AJC did an article on it this week. Uh, there are, they were expecting 100 or 200 women. 1,500 showed up. They were all decked out in red T-shirts, mothers who demand action for common sense gun legislation there on the plaza. But the uh, sound system was plugged in, worked an hour before, but it, the electricity was cut off just in time for the, the gathering. So they had a guy hold a bullhorn up. And the leader stood here, the guy with the bullhorn stood here, and the picture in the AJC, if you saw it, was from behind the leaders looking out on this sea of red-shirted uh, mothers. Uh, it was quite the sight, but if you looked right over the lip of the bullhorn, there were these two pale white guys in gray suits that looked a lot like Ken Brandt and James Lampkin. Now, Virginia Gilbert was also there, but she blended in. We stood out. But we were trying to do something that we felt was right, to feel good and stand for common, uh, the common good on the common ground with common sense gun legislation. It was the ten words that we were trying to live out with delight. And maybe that's the task of Lent. Learn to recognize Pharaoh's ways and Pharaoh's theology of scarcity, that there's not going to be enough for everybody. So quick, get yours and keep it safe. Be afraid of the foreigner. The practice of the disciplines of Lent would be the love of God, the love of neighbors, and the love of self. The sermon started with about Jesus overturning our tables, and the sermon ends with us being invited to Jesus' table, the one that has the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation to which all are invited. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given. And as we do so, we sing a song. It's a song that prepares our hearts for communion, for the Lord's Supper, that speaks of the bread that has been broken. Let's stand together and sing.
And I bring a few announcements to you this morning. Uh, First, I wanted to remind you that uh, nominations are still open. Uh, You'll notice an insert inside your order of worship where you can make nominations uh, for certain positions. And then our ministry teams uh, have nomination signs outside and the tables in the narthex. I encourage you to fill those out. Uh, This week on Thursday, and you'll notice we have a new hard copy pinnacle this week that details that. On Thursday, uh, our very own Jordan Clark will be leading the Phoenix Flies tour of our stained glass windows here in the sanctuary. They tell a story, and we owe it to Sid Janney, who made a petition to Phoenix Flies to get our church accepted as part of this tour. Thank you, Sid, and thank you, Jordan, for your leadership. Uh, Join us uh, Thursday at 11 a.m. Uh, Also, that evening will be uh, our next Lenten service at 6.45 p.m. in in our chapel. And the theme this week will be the discipline of Sabbath. We hope you can join us. The facilities committee, if you're on the facilities committee, there's going to be a very quick viewing of a repair project right outside the fellowship hall. If you could just gather after the service in in the fellowship hall area, I'd appreciate it. And now to some uh, heavy news. As many of you know, we have kept the family of John and Janet Bell in our prayers these last weeks. And John Bell died on Thursday, March the 1st. Uh, Our prayers are with his family, with, with Janet, with JP, with Julie and their family and loved ones. Tuesday at Arlington Chapel, there will be a visitation from 6 to 8 p.m., And then the next day, on Wednesday, the funeral service will be held at 1 p.m. here in the Northside Sanctuary. We pray for Janet and her family this morning. Prayers also with Billy and Gordon Davis. Gordon Davis has been transferred to Tranquility Hospice as of yesterday morning. And we pray for Gordon and Billy and their family as they gather together for a time of fellowship and togetherness at this very hour. And now our men's choir will be bringing us a a song, Um, and it has lyrics that will register deeply with those who are needing uh, a good word from the Lord, a word of strength, where it says, I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand. Upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand, we all need strength to stand this week. So let us continue our worship with the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Well, all, all God said, wow. Even God said, pow, to the good music. We now come to the good service of Holy Communion. It is in your order of service as an insert. And uh, as we serve today, it will be by standing intention. As you come by, you will take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat. And I think we'll still be letting the choir come first to serve. And choir, uh, others can join in. So now let us read together the Sorsum Corda. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing. Please be seated. On the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup, and after supper, he gave thanks and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving. Recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people. All of God's people are welcome at this table. Take these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. And therefore, let us come to the table in thanksgiving and hope. Amen. Jesus, Lamb of
All-loving God, we give you thanks for having refreshed us at your table, for we have celebrated the presence of Christ among us. So deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. As we prepare to go more deeply now into Dent, into Lent, not in Dent, we go deeply into Lent. So as we go, remember this, may the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.
artifacts, but... Yeah, I noticed that too. 